Oh yeah, everyone. It's Dan, and it's eventually Super Train. The sexy episode. It's episode 54, I think. Hey, things are too sexy right now for numbers, if you know what I mean. We got Green Hornet. We got Bourbon Street Beat. We got Ellery Queen Mysteries. And we got this. The sexiest library music I could find. Oh, yeah. What I'm going to do with this is I'm actually going to stop it just for a moment because it's a little too sexy. Sorry about that, everyone. What I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, put everything that I normally say at the end right here. And so in the end, you can just hear sexy for a minute or so. So thank you for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Eventually, supertrain.blogspot.com is the website. Uh, at esupertrain at yahoo.com at esupertrain1 over on Twitter eventually supertrain on Facebook uh, some Polish American guy reviews things I still have reviews on Bleeding Skull Bleeding Skull in 1980s Trash or Odyssey my first book 80s actually was on The Cheat my second book uh, um, Made for TV Mayhem show Podcast Mania my minute by minute um, podcasts um, they're all fun they're all a good time and wait a minute do you hear something? Oh, yeah. All right, so the end of the episode after Ellery speaks will just be me playing this at you for about a minute. It's going to be great. All right, and to, to keep up this sexy tone, let's hear Bill Dozier, shall we? Another challenge for the Green Hornet. His aide, Cato, and their rolling arsenal, the Black Beauty. On police records, a wanted criminal, the Green Hornet is really Britt Reed, owner-publisher of the Daily Sentinel. His dual identity, known only to his secretary and to the district attorney. And now, to protect the rights and lives of decent citizens, rides the Green Hornet. Trouble for Prince Charming, episode 22 of Green Hornet. Heck, February 17th, 1967, directed by Big Bill Bodine and written by Ken Pettis. And I got someone here who's going to give us a little plot breakdown on this. It's the great, it's the wonderful Kristen Hawes. How are you, Kristen? I'm feeling flattered, Dan. How are you? I'm, I'm doing all right. I, I always like when you do a little plot breakdown. They got, they got a lot of pizzazz. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear this one. Would you like to begin? I would. Please do. All right. So the Green Hornet and Cato are going to the airport to meet a prince, because if they don't get there in time, he's a dead man. At the airport, uh, the prince's fiance arrives, and as the plane taxis in, we see a goon peering out the back window of a delivery truck. The prince exits the plane and embraces his fiance, and just as the goon is about to shoot the prince... Black Beauty pulls up and gasses the goon. The truck zooms off, and so does Black Beauty, and everyone is confused. So later in a gaudily decorated consulate room, Britt Reed and District Attorney Scanlon inform Prince Raphael and his associates Abu Bakar and Colonel Sarajek that there's someone trying to kill the prince. An attempt on my life? That's right, Your Highness. How do you know, Mr. Reed? I received an anonymous phone call last night. Before I could call the police, I learned that the Green Hornet had disposed of the threat. But why? 
Why would this, this green hornet bother to save my life? From what I've been told, he's a notorious criminal. Well, that's true, Your Highness. I have no idea what his motive was. I have political enemies, of course. What head of state doesn't? But even if the incident at the airport last night involved an assassination attempt, I'm perfectly safe here in the consulate. I'm not so sure. There is a reception here tonight in your honor. But Mr. Reed, attendance is by invitation only. Invitations have been known to fall into the wrong hands, Mr. Bakia. Your Highness, I'd like your permission to post a strong police guard around the consulate grounds tonight. Well, I see no objection to that. Do you, Bakir? As long as the police do not come on the consulate ground. This is a Kaharan territory, as much as the capital of Kahara itself, and must be respected as such. I understand that, Mr. Bakir. Well, then, it is settled. The police want to add additional protection for a reception, which Prince Rafael agrees to, but Abu insists they stay outside the gates. Turns out Britt knows the prince's fiancée, Janet, who is one of the few, mostly not terrible women that Britt knows. At the reception, Prince Rafael and Janet are entertaining guests. Doesn't the line ever end? When you are Princess Janet of Kahara, you'll become reconciled to affairs like this. Excuse me, miss. You're wanted on the telephone. I was told to say it was urgent. Urgent? You can take it in the library, miss. Thank you. Will you excuse me, darling? Thank you. Hello? Hello? She goes to the other room to answer it, but no one is there. Except someone is, and they chloroform her. Prince Raphael and Britt meet up again. They go to look for Janet, but she isn't there. Figuring out that, that Janet's been kidnapped, Britt goes to find Scanlan while the prince uh, receives a ransom phone call. He has to abdicate his throne within 48 hours or Janet will be killed. Prince Raphael arranges to return to his country so he can abdicate. Don't give in to that demand, Your Highness. What are you talking about? I have to. Janet's life is at stake. But I don't think returning to Kahara and abdicating your throne is going to save her. Men vicious enough to do a thing like this to force you out of power wouldn't hesitate to kill her once they've got what they want. Mr. Scanlon. They won't harm her as long as they need her to bargain with. Time is on your side, not theirs. Make them wait. Give the police a chance. They'll find out who's holding Janet and where. No, Mr. Scanlon, I'm sorry. Maybe you're right, but what if you're wrong? I cannot risk that. My throne means nothing to me compared to Janet's life. Have the plane ready in two hours. But Britain Scanlon tried to talk... Uh, him into waiting in order to give the police a chance to find Janet. He won't, but Britt is determined to stop him. Prince Raphael leaves to go to the airport, but is stopped by Green Hornet and Cato, who beat up his entourage, punch, punch the prince in the face, and kidnap him. They take him to a room somewhere that looks like maybe it's Grandma's guest room, and demand $25,000 to rescue Janet because Green Hornet thinks he knows where Janet is. Prince Raphael agrees, and the Hornet tells him to stay put, saying if he wants anything, he can just ring. Scanlan is very unhappy about the prince kidnapping. It's a bad look. But Brynn is convinced that Janet is still at the consulate because there was no way anyone could get her past all of the police, and he believes that Abu Bakar and Colonel Sarajek are behind it. He's already contacted them, and Hornet has an appointment with them to collect a king's ransom. On the way there, Green Hornet tells Prince Rafael the plan. So, Green Hornet and Kato go to the meeting. Abu presents the money, but he wants to know when they get the prince. 
Hornet, Green Hornet says within an hour, he'll tell him where to find him. Hornet and Kato leave, but Colonel Sarajek calls the gate and tells them to make sure Green Hornet is in the car when he leaves. He doesn't trust him. Black Beauty leaves with Green Hornet apparently in the car. But no, it's the prince in Hornet's clothing. The real Hornet snoops around the grounds. He sneaks inside and radios Kato. Prince Raphael tells Green Hornet to check the wine cellar. A maid nearly catches Green Hornet, but he conceals himself. She takes forever, turning down the bed, and then leaves. Hornet exits and sneaks down to the wine cellar, where he kicks a goon in the chest through a door and finds Janet. This fight is not quiet, and it attracts attention. Abu and the colonel and a few more goons show up, and Hornet barricades himself and Janet in the wine cellar. They're trapped. Or are they? Well, no. Not really. But... Before we get to their escape, Dan, what did you think of this episode? I think that maid was getting paid by the hour. My this God, I, yes! <laughs> I'm like, how long does this take? I'm not and why do we have to watch all of it? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. For an episode that moves pretty darn quick, Mr. Bodine chose the oddest moment to slow it down. And I guess it's suspense. I mean, William Bodine, by this point, this was near the end of his career. This was... Around the same time, he made Billy the Kid versus Dracula and Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter, which are the best titles in his filmography, but not the most interesting films. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. It's like this is going to be suspense, and it's like Bill, it's a it's a woman making a bed. No suspense. Hello, a bed making a bed. And even Van Williams came by and said it, but he was just like, no, this is the way this is going to work. And uh, I mm, over overall. I think this is, I, I put this episode sort of in the same category that I put Ace in the Hole in, um, in that it, it starts off so quick and it moves so fast at the beginning that apart from the fact that the actress who plays Janet, whose name I don't remember, but I just watched her in the Gumball Rally, which is a film I adore the other day, and she was also in, made, when we did the Made for TV Mayhem show um, on... Uh, older women with younger men. She was the star of one of those movies. And I really like her. And of course, that means she vanishes like five minutes into the episode and just shows up right at the end. Um, but it's weird because the episode presents it as we have to save this prince and Britt Reed's a good friend of Janet, but we never actually like get much interaction between them. So they're, and, and like I said, the most interesting person gets kidnapped and is gone. And the prince is kind of dull. And his entourage is kind of dull. And so it's it's weird because, like with Ace in the Hole, everything is pretty much, every scene is pretty much plot-specific, apart from maybe that maid. Every scene is specifically to move the plot on. But unlike Ace in the Hole, which gets really overcomplicated, this is, is sort of like, she's been kidnapped, and now we beat up the prince. I thought that was a strange scene, where they, they beat up the prince's entourage and beat up the prince to, to kidnap him. Um, I get what he was doing, um, and, and I mean, he, he was thinking on his toes right there. But his plans aren't always the best. Uh, and and but but right after that scene, you get him saying, "Oh, she's still on the grounds." And so instead of Ace in the Hole, which goes from here to there to here to there to here to there, this is pretty much all on these grounds. And sort of the moment Green Hornet gets back in there, you you kind of look at the time and go, "Okay, this is going to take us to the ending." And it's it's. It's an episode that I found strangely unsatisfying. Um, I, I, the first time I watched it, it was like, eh. The second time I watched it, okay, let's focus a little more. But unlike Ace in the Hole, there's not much to focus on. And um, 
I just think the fact that it doesn't settle down and sort of make you care a bit about the prince and Janet um, means that you just kind of don't care. It just feels like, I mean, it's it's either super fast-paced, not not sophisticated, but like super fast-paced, almost modern-day writing, or it's like writing the way, uh, like when I was eight or nine, I used to write and draw my own comic books. And the way they would always go is Spider-Man would be going down, walking down the street, and he'd run into Captain America. Captain America would bump into him. He'd say, watch out, Cap. Get out of my way, Spidey. And then they'd fight for the rest of the comic. And this is almost plotting like that. It's like there's no nuance or anything to it. It's just this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then it's over. And some of it's fun. Uh, there's a sequence where they... Um, where where Britt goes down into the wine cellar, well, Green Hornet goes down to the wine cellar to get Janet, and all I could think was, I recognize that wine cellar. You have the same architect for your house that this, they, they do at this uh, at this uh, this. Um, I, what 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 is? Why am I forgetting the consulate? The consulate. Yes, I think you. Yeah, you have yes. the, the same architect. I, I thought that too. I'm like, I wonder if Dan will catch this because I'm like, I am pretty sure those are the stairs to Britt's basement. Yeah, where they kept Mike. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 that's sort of my th- thoughts on this one. Is um um, you know, I I appreciate that the show, even at this point, and um and by time this aired, uh, I. I possibly sure that they might have known that it was getting canceled, although maybe not when they were making it. Um, but but I appreciate that they're still trying to mix it up a bit, you know, and have like, well, Janet's a good friend of, of Brit's and that's why he's getting involved in this. But they just, they sort of shortchange the, 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 the uh, again, I, I use, I've used this term numerous times, but sort of the connective tissue that makes like drama worth watching and they just left the basics. And while it can be fun, I don't find it very satisfying. What about you? Yeah, it's a. It's, I'm very meh on this episode. Oh, yeah. I really don't care. It's it's kind of bland. I mean, the the plot, the idea that that Janet was kidnapped and she never left the consulate. I kind of liked that play because mm-hmm. you know that's kind of clever. But just for the most part, I don't care. It's it's just a bland. The prince is very bland. The, it's just that you don't really get to you don't really get much from the the bad guys Abu and Colonel Sarajek there. It's just it's a very flat episode. I feel like oh yeah, like it's very, it's yeah. just flat. And the maid taking nine years to turn down the bed. <laughs> it's just that that's gonna forever stick in my craw. Cause I'm, just, <laughs> I'm like I understand that a part of it. Yeah, like you said, it's partly for tension, but it's just like. There's tension, and then there's boredom, and we've crossed into boredom. This is playing too long. Did you? You could have had the fight scene go on longer instead of this, which the fight scene you got to actually see at the end when Cato finally busts in and yeah, helps. It's a pretty, pretty good fight scene. I think. It's a good fight scene. Half of it's dark though, mm-hmm. and it's like it's the the lighting is weird. The lighting was kind of weird in parts of this episode because they're showing. Uh, Cato and and uh, the prince in Green Hornet or in Black Beauty, and Cato is lit, but only like part of the prince's face was lit. Mm-hmm. It was just a really weird like he was too tall, yeah. and they just didn't want to make the adjustment for that. That sounds like William Bowden. Like, yeah, they would have been like, you know, you should crouch down or something, mm-hmm. put your face in the light, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. It was just, and then the lighting for the fight, it was like. 
because it was in a wine cellar, so it was like kind of dark in places, but kind of not, and it was just which sucked because Cato actually got to do some pretty neat stuff. Yes, you know, during that particular fight scene, that and the ending kind of gets me because. First of all, there's a window in a wine cellar, and I didn't know they did that. But I'm not rich. I don't have wine cellars. I just have a basement yes. and um, cellar doors because I live in the Midwest. And so our basement has windows, but I didn't know wine cellars had windows. But he lets, so he gets Janet out, and then he goes back in to solo do battle with all of these dudes. And I'm like, <laughs> why? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to do it in that cramped, confined space unless you're like, I'm going to go in there and I might get my butt kicked, but I'm going to wreck as much wine as I possibly yeah. can. This country is not going to have anything to serve to their guests in its consulate yeah. for years. Kahara, the, the land of Kahara, will no, have no wine. They had one bottle yes. that I think the prince takes at the end, which I thought was a nice touch. Yes, that was a nice touch. That was a nice touch. But the fact that, that Hornet had to go back in to, I don't know, prove himself, it's kind of like... Um, in the last episode, the Bad Bet episode, where he insisted on going into the, the warehouse yes, rather than uh, to face the cops, yeah. even though he'd been shot. And it's like, y- your masculinity is just, your ego is that fragile. Yeah, you know you know who your, who, I, don't, I hesitate to call him sidekick, you know who your friend is? That's Bruce Lee. Okay, there you go. Take, yeah. Take, there you go. Cato could go into that room. Yes. Exactly. And wipe everybody up, mm. but not so much you. Because he was getting bested. They were going to take his mask off if yes. Cato hadn't intervened. Yeah. Finally, we're going to learn who the Green Hornet is. I think that's like, is that the first time we've heard that? I, in the, this yeah, I think that's like the only time anybody's tried to unmask him. Yeah, and, and, hmm. and would they believe him, though? I, I, I was, the, I, can I just say the, the one thing they didn't do in this episode that I was hoping they'd do, and I have it circled, diplomatic immunity. No one claims oh. diplomatic immunity. <laughs> Well, we didn't see we didn't see Abu and, and Sarajek get arrested, so maybe they did then. Oh, that's true. Yeah, they they're like, well, all of this happened on the consulate grounds. It's technically consulate jurisdiction. Diplomatic immunity. Okay. Except, well. Yeah, diplomatic so. immunity from prosecution in the states, but then your prince is is right there, and he's in, you're the one that did this against him. Yes. So he's probably going to take you back to his country where the laws are much different, and he's going to I don't know behead you. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a Columbo episode right now, which has a similar thing that goes on in it, with uh, Hector Elizondo. I was going to say, is Hector gentleman. Elizondo in it? Yeah, and, and is he played an Arabian gentleman? Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, he does. <laughs> Bless uh, Hector Elizondo. Uh, um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you with my Hector elizondo Well, you know, it's worth it for Hector Elizondo. I'm, I'll just say that. I do adore him. Um, but yeah, I just... It was just, it was kind of a mad episode. It had moments, but most of, like, I, Scanlan, just, like, losing his mind because they kidnapped that prince. Like, it is a bad look. What are you thinking if yes. this gets out? Yeah. And Hornet's like, it's not going to get out. Brit's like, it's not going to get out. Of course it's not going to get out yeah. because Brit won't put it in the paper. Yeah, exactly. And he's seen that if Brit wants something to be known, he puts it in the paper. So Mike is dead. We'll just put that in the paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Prince kidnapped now. We'll just we just won't bother mentioning. <laughs> um. Uh. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because normally I'm I'm a full um, I, I'm fully behind William Bodine uh, and his direction. But this, there's just a few moments here and there, like like with the maid, and I just watched the um the assassination scene in the beginning. Basically, like a guy, you know, sticks a sticks a gun out of the back of a truck. And the Green Hornet pulls up to the truck, and they spray like gas in there. So the guy's 
uh, firing and not hitting the the prints, but it's all shot a little, it's all edited or, or shot a little off. So it's like you see the guy poke the gun out, and then you think he's about to fire, but then you see the like the Black Beauty pull up, stop, and then they stop start pumping the gas in. And it's sort of like, that's a little, I would have, you know, the moment I saw the huge car driving towards me, I would have started firing. And the guy kind of doesn't really do that um, until, yeah. like, the Black Beauty is, like, right there. And so it's like, that mm, That looks a little off to me, sort of like they couldn't get the shot they wanted or they couldn't quite figure out the logistics of it and they just said to hell with it and just shot what they could and edited it together. And normally normally uh, William Bodine's stuff is, is better than that. Um, but uh, let's see. And there, there are moments, too, the... Um, uh, where Janet goes to, and Janet's wearing a lovely red dress. I really like her dress in this. Uh, yes, yeah. it's a nice dress. I really I think she she looks good in it. Um, and but she goes up to the phone, and um, although having said that, if you watch the scene where she gets chloroformed, it immediately cuts to Britt sort of stepping out through a doorway, and a woman walks by who seems to be wearing the exact same red dress. Uh, so something to look for. Um, but the, the thing about that scene where she gets chloroformed is it is it does that thing, which sometimes is amusing, and sometimes isn't, where um, the characters are attacked by. I could say this is the entire entirety of the slasher genre. The the character seems to be attacked by like they can only see what's on the screen, they they can't see off screen. So she's standing there on the phone going hello hello hello, and then all of a sudden this huge hand with a chloroform pad, like, reaches in front of her face. But you didn't see that guy? He's a, that's a big guy, she was, I think. She was really intent on that phone call, I guess. She was, I mean, because it's, it's like I was expecting something, like someone was going to leap up or, like, someone was going to suddenly appear real quick, but it isn't. It's just like this hand comes into the screen, and it's like, no peripheral vision. I can't, if it's not in the frame, you know, I can't see it. Which is like, mm. and that, that... I, I'm, I'm wondering if there was some story behind this, because, like, with that moment and with the moments where it gets oddly dark, like in the last fight scene and with the, the maid and the, and the assassination attempt, there are just some sloppy-looking moments in this scene. You know, in the last episode, we had that fight in the catwalk that was a little off. Um, well, actually, a lot, a lot off. Um, <laughs> but 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 this, this one is like... But that was up on a catwalk, and... I, I imagine they were limited with the angles, but this is like just some of these moments. It's like it has the it has the feeling of something you see in a lot of like low budget horror films and things where it's like um, you know it's good enough. We're just gonna have to go with it and hope no one calls us on it. And there's every possibility that this show mainly just showing once and then going off the air for a long time, no one would have really noticed it. A couple of knuckleheads sitting around discussing it like we are, uh, you know, are kind of pulling it apart in a way maybe that they didn't intend on it. But um, what else do you have? Now, what do you think? Can I just, okay, diplomatic immunity, what are your thoughts? Just in a hundred words or less. Diplomatic immunity, that is like a great plot device to uh, prolong the the bad character's uh, ability to do bad and frustrate the hero. Yes. I don't, I don't think it actually works that way in reality at all. <laughs> that was, um, 
Uh, way back when, when, when Charlie Brown and I were discussing Manimal, there's the episode with Richard Lynch as, as a guy who works for a consulate, and we see him, like, commit fraud. We, I think we see him, like, kill someone or, or commit assault. We see him steal something. But every time he does it, diplomatic immunity, and it was like, oh, well, we just saw you commit a crime, a felony right in front of us, but diplomatic immunity. And we had like a 20-minute discussion about what we thought diplomatic immunity meant. And uh, we, we didn't come to a conclusion except for the fact that we would both like diplomatic immunity. I would also like diplomatic immunity. Yes, yes. This is how it works. And the, the manimal thing also has a bit at the end where um, – where he, uh, diplomatic immunity, diplomatic immunity, and then um, Jonathan becomes a, the, the Black Panther thing, attacks him, and they're like, well, the only way we can stop the Panthers is if you revoke your diplomatic immunity because of whatever. And so he says, I revoke my diplomatic immunity. Okay, and they call the Panther back, and now we arrest you. And then we're like, what's to stop him from just invoking his diplomatic immunity again? Is there... I don't, There's, I don't. Is there a switch? You just turn it on and off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like it's like you got the. There's a card like in your wallet. And you stamp it. You know, it's like <laughs> uh, revoked. Ah, it's back. Um, but that has nothing to do with this episode because no one claims that here. That was just a question I have. Um, what else do you have? I'm looking at my notes here. Well, um, I was looking at Janet for all of the women that Britt knows, and most of them, aside from Casey, are terrible. They're just they have real personality issues. Janet's not so bad, except she was standing in line next to the prince while they're greeting people, and she was complaining about it. And I'm like, what What do you think this gig entails? This is this is most of the work, is sitting there greeting other dignitaries and smiling and pretending like you like them and you care about them. Yeah. That's, that's the uh, job. Yeah, that's, uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, tr- trust me, you know, this is, this is a, this is, that's a better job than, like, the day job I have right now. So, you know, that's, yeah. I'll, t- I'll take that Standing at parties, looking nice, greeting people. Yeah. Shaking hands, being polite, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, her surprise, like, like I, and I thought, like, is this the first thing he's taken her to like this? Well, yeah. is it, has it just been like they, they mainly just hit the Bob's Big Boy, and you know, stuff yeah. like that, you know? It's like, we don't... If we're just going to In-N-Out and <laughs> whatever. Exactly. Well, we're going we're gonna to hit the Shakey's, there's a football game on, you know, diplomatic immunity. Well, that's like when they first, when you first see them at the beginning of the episode, and they embrace, and it, it, it almost is like, I guess it's supposed to be they haven't seen each other for a while, but it, but it came across to me like they, this whole relationship happened via correspondence, like they're really pen pals, yeah, and they like, just it got together, yeah, because and, and that's how it felt. In Kahara, we do mail order brides. That's the way it works. <laughs> but we they, have to go pick them up. Yeah, it does. He, it, yeah, the prince doesn't. Um, I don't know. You know, Janet sees something in him that I don't. You know, I don't. I don't know. Uh, the prince just he's, seems. He's a he's a prince. He's reasonably attractive. He has money. You'd be set for life as long as you don't commit treason. Yes, exactly. You know, it seems like a good deal. <laughs> yeah. I do, one of my favorite moments at the 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 so you get this great fight in the wine cellar, which does yeah have the feeling of we rented a wine cellar with empty bottles. We're gonna smash them all, um, and then. Uh, so and and it seems like every and I think it is like every single person on his staff is involved in this conspiracy and whatever's going on, and then so the final scene is like sort of Brit at like being the best man at the wedding, and there's just a great moment with thank you so much Brit for helping me out with my entire staff under arrest. 
you really, this was really great. <laughs> the entire staff. You know, it's like, is there like a, is there like a consulate like temp agency? Like consul, <laughs> consulate temps. You, you need a new yeah. maid? No, we've got a maid. We can't get rid of her. You know, was the maid <laughs> under arrest? She was staffed too. She was just arrested no, for doing, she, doing a bad job. Yeah, she was, no, she's actually, she's still up there turning down beds. <laughs> she's turning down beds. The, the 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 consulate is so big. By the time you get you go from one end to the other, people have slept in the beds, so you just head back. Uh, let's yeah. uh, let's see a handsome bridegroom. I do, I do oh I do like that where um where where at the at the end Brit Brit says something like you know and you've married a beautiful bride and she is she's lovely but and then you get Casey sort of with a wine glass going and also a handsome bridegroom or something where it sounds like maybe she's had a little too much. Yeah. Uh, whatever's going and, on there. Like, and Brit, your hair Brit's like, careful, he's a married man. And it's like, what are you insinuating? You can call the bride pretty, but she can't say he's handsome? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's... I don't... And now she's flirting with him, with this newly married prince right in front of his wife. Yeah, I think... I, I don't know. You know, Brit, I don't mean to be rude, but I think Miss Case might have a guy that she likes. And I think you might have a gal that you like. But, she, you know, I don't want to say anything. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But, uh, but I, did, I did love Casey's dress for the wedding. That was yes. a really pretty dress. I wish yeah. I, they would have shown more of it. But mm-hmm. yeah, she's it's it's only just a very brief, very brief moment right in there. Um, now I um I I just have a couple more things, and then if you want to give us your trivia and such and whatever else you have, um, I am I do like that. Um, uh, and this this is this is I think believe this is foreshadowing, but it's like <laughs> pardon me when they're in the at the reception. And they're all talking about, you know, well, we have all these police around the consulate and everything like that. And someone says, I forget if it's Brit or it's Scanlon, says to the prince and Janet, you're perfectly safe in the consulate. Wah, 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 oh, oh that, that might go wrong in a moment or two. Yeah. That might go horribly wrong. Um, uh, I had another note here. Oh, interesting. Well, not that interesting. Uh, writer of this was Ken Pettis. Pettis? And... Um, I recently tried to, I'm trying to finish my BJ and the Bear reviews over on my Polish American Guy Reviews site, and I'm, I'm like seven or eight episodes away from the end, but I just reviewed the episode Beauties and the Beast, which, as per our last um, episode discussion, the, the silent, 459 silent, should have been two episodes. I'm not going to go into it here, that, that'll be the BJ and the Bear cast, or that that sounds like a porno cast is actually what that sounds like so I'm not going to call it that um, but uh, but but that episode is very much like uh, there's there's a main plot line about one of the gals who's one of the truckers BJ works with uh, she has a nephew who's about to sort of get into crime and then all the trucker ladies are arrested and have to play a, a football game with the guards at the prison and it's two very uh, kind of disparate uh, plot lines that they bring together not so well, but the weird thing about that episode is that the story for that is by Ken Pettis. The teleplay is by someone else. In fact, the teleplay I believe is by five other people. I'm just going. I'm just going to say real quick. I'm just going to say real quick. Kristen, everything you write, you write by yourself, and you've written a ton of stuff. Marcel Proust wrote In Search of Lost Time by himself. Dennis Potter wrote The Singing Detective all six hours by himself. It took six people to write this dumb episode of BJ and the Bear. (laughs) 
why? I have no idea, but I would love to ask. It was like just people started writing it. Maybe it was a round robin kind of thing. I'll write 10 minutes, you write 10 minutes. Or maybe a, I Everybody just, took a scene. Yes, exactly. I, ju- I just can't crack this episode. I just can't do it. The Longest Yard episode of BJ and the Bear. I just can't crack it. But every time I see Ken Pettis' name from now on, I'm just going to close my eyes and see teleplay by two guys and three more guys and story by. It's like, what the hell? This is BJ and the Bear when the show was dying. You, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have had that many people on the staff writing. <laughs> But uh, but that I think that's that that's my end. Of, that's the end of what I have for this one. Um, what what else do you have for this one? I only have a couple more notes and then one little piece of trivia. Cool. Um, Britt, when they realize that Janet's been kidnapped, Britt says it that because the prince asks what that smell is, and Britt says it's the smell of chloroform. And I thought, well, of course you know what the smell of chloroform is. You have all those security cameras in your house. <laughs> I'm just like, this is not looking good for you, Brit. <laughs> and, and I will say, he takes a pretty good sniff of that. What is that? Chloroform. <laughs> <laughs> and I am feeling fine now. Thank you for asking. If, if this were police squad, he would have, as the prince was in the foreground on the phone taking the call, Brit <laughs> would have passed out in the back. Yeah, and the, the truth is, is that it takes forever to knock somebody out with chloroform. So what we see on TV, not exactly, not exactly real. Mm-hmm. And folks, Kristen does have cameras all over her house too. Oh my gosh! You know, I would, but that would probably like involve too much technology that I wouldn't be able to work. <laughs> I mean, we just got a new washing machine today, and the old washing machine we have is was older than I am, and oh. I am quite ancient. <laughs> and and so like I'm gonna have to learn how to work this new. <laughs> this new washing machine. I'm not sure I can I can hack it. We'll see. Was your old washing I, machine just like like Granny from the Beverly Hillbillies in a stone out back? <laughs> you know what? By the time we got rid of it, it was basically this, the equivalent of how good it worked. <laughs> it, it was like I might as well just take these clothes down to the the creek and beat, beat them on a rock because <laughs> that's as good as we're getting. Um, but I had one. Oh. And so here he is when when Greenhorn is sneaking around this consulate, and he he's being very quiet, careful not to get caught by the maid who takes ten years to turn out of bed. He goes downstairs and he kicks that dude through the door, making all of this yes. noise. Yeah. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Jeez, it's like all that stealth was pointless. You could have just like walked the hell down and just been like, what up? And you know. <laughs> For everything that you just did, yeah, it would have been the same thing. <laughs> yeah, the Green Hornet. He has there are gaps in his plans sometimes. He does. Yeah. I mean, he does say more or less like when he he kidnaps the prince. His Scanlan says, "What the f?" He he more or less says something like, that, "That was the only thing I could think of," or something like that. You know, he was like, "You know, I'm I'm improvising here." You know, I don't um, you know, he you know, I'm the Green Hornet. You know, give me a minute. Yeah, and and he holds them in that room, and I I want to know where was that room? Was that Britt's guest room? Yes. Was that because it looked like where Grandma would stay? Mm-hmm. That was the kind of decor they were you rocking. It looked like this was Grandma's room when Grandma comes to visit. Yeah, there was like a tray with that ribbon candy that only old ladies eat. You know that 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 kind of weird ribbon candy. You know. Yeah. <sighs> it was it was something else. <laughs> And I have one little piece of trivia, which you actually kind of mentioned earlier. You were talking about uh, the actress who played Jan- Janet Prescott. Yes. 
that's Susan Flannery. Yes. Uh, the movie that you guys watched for Made for TV Mayhem was Anatomy of a Seduction. Oh, yes. I hated, also, I hated the ending of that, but I really liked the movie up to the end. And Amanda and I, I think we got in an argument over the ending of that movie. She, oh. she, she thought it worked. I did not. Gotcha. I think I remember that. <laughs> Sometimes we an argument, yeah. Well, you know, mm-hmm. differing opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also in uh, Towering Inferno, and she was probably most known to soap opera fans because she's Stephanie Douglas Forrester on Days of Our Lives. Ah, I don't watch Days of Our Lives, but I, I actually recognized her from that because she's so well-known yeah. for the character. So that's all I have. Yeah, I think, and like I said, just the other day I rewatched the Gumball Rally, which is a super fun uh, if you folks don't know it, uh, Warner Archive put out a Blu-ray that looks gorgeous. It's a super fun mid-70s, pre-like Cannonball Run kind of thing where just uh, a bunch of people in New York City assemble and they race across the country to Long Beach in, in Los Angeles as fast as possible. And it's super fun. And apart from one shot, there's no like rear screen projection. It's generally like the actors in the cars doing the driving. It's not the crazy stunts. And it's got a great cast, and it's super fun. And she's one of the um, she's one of the contestants. Her and a friend of hers are one of the contestants. I forget if the, I think they're maybe in a Porsche. I forget, but it's super fun. Uh, so that is Prince Charming has a good time. What's the name of the episode? I didn't write it down. A good a, it's, uh, trouble for Prince Charming. Bad day at Prince. Char- yeah. Oh, thank you. Black day at Bedrock. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, Chris, where can we find you online? You can find me on my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. That's where all of my posts are, my rerun junkie posts. Um, links to my Patreon, links to all my published works. You can buy me a coffee. You can check out Writing for Tips. And uh, if you need me 24-7, except for when I'm at my day job or when I'm sleeping, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Thank you so much. And now, I think, in honor of this episode, Kristen and I are going to watch My Maid, Make my bed. She's so fast. She gets the sheets right in there. She Look at how she handles the pillows. Now she's going around the back. Is that a hospital corner? Yes. She's got both sides. Oh, she's done already. Wow. Well, she's only got six more to do. We, we have seven beds, one for each day of the week. That's our Tuesday bed. I wonder if you could get some kind of sporting event set up um, for maids and make... Mm, forget it for now. Let's. Uh, what's next? Hello, my name is Mitchell Hadley, and I'm the author of The Electronic Mirror, an opinionated look at how classic TV helps us understand who we were and who we are and everything in between. I didn't pay for this message, but you are going to pay for my book because it is a great book. It tells you everything you want to know about how classic TV ties into the culture. It has stories. It has incredible coincidences. It has everything that you want, whether it's uh, reading it on the beach, in the bathroom, in bed before you go nighty-night. This is a book you need to have on your shelf. All right, Mitchell, I'm ready to start recording. Are you, are you, oh. are you all set to go? Yep, yep, yep. All okay. right, let's do okay. it. All right. Uh... Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Bourbon Street Beat. Starring Richard Long. In New Orleans. Andrew Duggan. This is the 
with Arlene Howell and Van Williams. Produced by Warner Brothers. Episode 10 of Bourbon. You know what? Demetrius a good guy. I wonder how his maid makes the bed. I should probably ask him, although I think that might be too personal. We'll see. Episode 10, Bourbon Street Beat. No, December 7th. Ooh, I almost said November. We're in December 59 right now. December 7th, 1959. Light touch of terror. This is a Kenny featured episode. He takes Melody to an Axeman party. The Axeman is some sort of legendary axe-wielding mass killer from around 1918 who ran around New Orleans uh, uh, taking women and uh, removing their hearts during... No, I'm kidding. That's Mardi Gras Massacre. But the Axeman was an axe with the thing. Presumably a man. Um, And, uh, yeah, they go to this Axeman party and it's a bunch of people from Kenny's college and they, they, they sort of meet a gal named Elise and another guy named Dwayne and, uh, but only, only briefly because they're, they're instantly shoved into this sort of, um, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, a little house of horror type hallway thing with like Axemen lit up, these, you know, mannequins dressed as the Axemen with real axes and things like that. So everyone's dancing, everyone's getting down, it's a real shindig, it's a real hootenanny, it's a real good time. And it's a real loving. No, that's the wrong generation. And all of a sudden there's a scream, and from inside the hallway thing, and Kenny rushes in there and finds a guy, I think Jack Anthony, one of the Axemen, has fallen on him, and the axe got him. Right in the chopper. No, I, I got think I, I get, get some like right in the chest. So this guy's dead. And it's like, well, that's weird. And he tries to convince Kenny tries to convince um, uh, Rex to help him out. He thinks you know uh, that was a, a, a murder, not an accident. Rex says, well, investigate it yourself. So he begins to investigate it himself. And the next night uh, at a local carnival, uh, one of the cooch dancers uh, is killed. I believe her name is Myrna. She's killed. And Kenny goes and talks to sort of her uh, her partner in in the dancing, and uh, it's the next night. I believe it's the next night. Uh, there's a woman, and I, I believe she's uh, college related. I'm sorry, I forgot to write it down. We'll talk about her. I think she's like the wife of the president or the dean or something like that. Uh, the Axeman comes into her room to kill her, but when she she kind of wakes up and screams, and he runs away. And there are these three murders that don't seem to be connected. Um, this one random guy and the cooch dancer and this this woman who I believe, if she's not with the college, forgive me, but um, uh, I believe she... Why, did, why the hell didn't I write her name down? She doesn't get killed. Anyway, she comes out okay. But yeah, it's these three sort of unrelated things and they may or may not have something to do with the guy who Melody sort of almost met and Kenny kind of almost knows, the guy named Dwayne. That's all I'll say right here. This was directed by William J. Hole Jr., which is about as great a name as you're going to find, and written by A.J. Carruthers. I don't know what A.J. stands for. Not a jerk, I hope. Probably not a joy. A joy Carruthers. But anyway, that's that's the basic gist of Light Touch of Terror. It's a Kenny episode. Try to piece together these two murders and this one attack. Let me give you a blast, and Mitchell and I will dive right in. Everyone, it's Dan. Uh, light. What is this episode called? Uh, light touch, touch of terror. Light, light touch I, of terror. Yes. I keep almost saying night train of terror. Um, hey, I don't know if you guys recognize that voice. That is. Uh, what's his name? No, I'm kidding. Of course, that's Mitchell Hadley. If it's about TV, how you doing, Mitchell? I am great. How are you, Dan? 
good, good. I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about this episode because it's kind of a very special. Yes, it is. In some respects. Um, now, I know you've got a new book out, but I'd like to just dive right into the episode, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Let's go. Okay. Okay. So, please, uh, as as with always, let's let's start at the as sort of overall and then dive into some uh, minutia. What What do you think about uh, What did you think about the episode? Well, I think I I really enjoyed it, and I think people who've uh, gone with Bourbon Street Beat this far are going to enjoy it as well, because this is our introduction of uh of the detective the young detective uh, detective junior kenny finally gets a case of his own and um i think that people are really going to to enjoy watching his take on how to get to the bottom of this murder mystery and how he has Picked up a lot from the people that he works with, but has some gumption of his own. I, I, I've been kind of waiting for this moment to come as we've gone through the season, and I think that uh, people are going to appreciate this. They're going to like it. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm. When it started and it, it features uh, Kenny and Melody going to this Axe Man party and such, and has one of my my favorite moments where um, Melody gets scared by Kenny in his Axe Man mask. Yes, and she begins to talk to him, and and he she's just like, "Don't talk to me, don't talk to me, no." And she just gets this <laughs> she gets this look on her face like, and it's like, "Kenny, you screwed up, <laughs> you screwed up." Well. Um, She's frozen, just frozen in place for a, yes. well, at the very beginning, and uh, you don't know whether she's just putting it on or maybe she is in shock. It's it, they're really growing on me as a couple. I have to say, yeah, they really are. They're we right. weren't sure what their relationship was at the beginning, but mm -hmm. they're starting to uh, really, I think, grow into this, uh, in, into their roles, and they're yes. becoming rather fun to watch. Yeah, and and as I as I mentioned before, don't uh, don't judge them by that strange moment in the opening credits where they turn towards the camera and oh, she yeah. looks at the camera and he doesn't quite look at the camera. No, they're they they they've gone beyond that. So, but I I, I think it's a fun episode just to see yeah the way Kenny Kenny does uh, in the way sort of um uh he he wants to talk with Rex about it, but Rex is like, hey, you know the the cops say it was this, it was an accident, you know, I've got paying clients to go to, and Kel is a little more gives uh, is a little more helpful, mm -hmm. you know, and is like, uh, eh, eh, but but still is sort of like, you know what, this is um. It, it, you know, just just ask yourself, you know, do you want to risk your life for this? Because if you're going after a murderer, you're going to risk your life. Exactly. And so, is this more or less the hill you want to die on, as it were, as your first case? And um, and and Kenny Kenny goes after it, and he does have it's it's interesting, yeah, because like you said, there are portions. Some of the way he does stuff is is he he's he doesn't have as much. Uh, finesse when he goes to talk to is it Elise? Um, uh, he really angers her in yes. a way that sort of Cal and Rex don't quite anger the ladies. Yeah, he, he's he still a, he's rough around the edges. Yeah, mm, but he he he. Um, but he does have have some good technique, and he does. I mean, obviously, when he goes to talk to the gal in the carnival, she's all over. It's Van Williams. I'd be all over Van <laughs> Williams, if, you know. But but she's sort of all, and it's great because he gets the information out of her um, by sort of. At first, she won't say anything specific. She she won't get too specific. But then the more he's there, the more she likes him, and the more he's able to kind of slip in more specific questions, 
that she answers, and then he, the way she then she begins to let him look around mm-hmm. and find stuff. And it's it's interesting to see, yeah, that it's um he he I I hope I'll I'll, I'll say I, I I like Kenny as as the sort of. I don't want to call him. Uh, he would be the second tier, I guess, because Rex and Rex and Cal are the yeah. first tier. Sort of the second tier. tier I'd love it if they did at least like two or three more episodes of this throughout with him throughout the show. Maybe one where he brings Melody along. That would be fun. And that would be super fun. So, but but yeah, I, I got a kick out of this episode, and it's kind of um, it's it's kind of creepy in points, and it's kind of it's um. Here, here's the tricky thing with this episode is, I think we know. Forgive me if I'm wrong. I should have asked you this before we started recording, um, but we know pretty early on who the who the Axe Man is, yes. right? Yes. Yes. We okay. Do. I think. Do you think we can spoil that? Be my Let's, guest. Okay. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna spoil it only because it's one of those things where we really sort of only meet one other guy, and the Axe Man is a guy, and uh, so. Okay, folks. This is um, this is a uh, it's 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 not quite a um, who done it. It's it's more of a why done it. Does that make sense? I don't it even does. even even well, Columbo isn't like a why yeah done it. yeah because well then that, that's a good one to follow for this too. I uh, think that the thing about Kenny is Kenny figures this out fairly early as well, yes. and. Although there is the possibility that that could be a red herring, if it were, you would have to at the same time say that Kenny is blowing his chance to be a detective. He's made a rookie mistake, and that would be crippling, I think, to the development of the character within the show. If he wants to be a detective and he uh, gets to the point where he can, where he winds up being spun off into his own series the following oh. season, mm-hmm. um, you've, you've got to treat the character with respect. And that means he can make some rookie errors. But it, I think it would have been detrimental to the character to have him flat-out wrong on okay. something like this. And so I think that um, in the end... The story is served well by having his instincts be correct, and as you said, it 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 isn't a, a, a who done it. Uh, the 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 uh, the killer is is reasonably obvious. It's more of the threat that he's going to play. And the nice thing is that when you have guest stars who are threatened, as opposed to the regulars, when a guest star is on somebody's hit list, there's no guarantee that that person is going to survive. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's what keeps you guessing. Now, I know that in 1959, 1960, you had to be careful about that kind of thing. But still, there's no promise that everybody who enters this episode is going to emerge from it intact. Yes. Yes. And I think, too, something they might be doing, and um, I'd like to think I'm I'm not giving anyone too much credit, because I'd like to think that you, you very early on, it's sort of telegraphed, who the killer is, and mm-hmm. I think by like maybe like the twenty-minute mark, I think it's pretty much you see who the killer is. Yeah. So I think the fact that it's so early on, me and and basically what it is is it's sort of Kenny Kenny figures it out too, and we hope he's right, and it becomes a why did he kill the people he killed, and who might he be going to kill next? Yes. And I think the thing, like you said, he has to 
in order for him to have any cred as a, a budding detective, he has to get this one right. And so there's something about us learning almost definitively, I, I don't know exactly when it is, who the killer is, and then him piecing together, putting the whole thing together, and then capturing the killer. That makes it sort of like, okay, we could sort of, we, we have a broad, like a, we're, we're kind of looking down on it going, okay, Kenny. You know, that's the killer right there. You got to get to him, and yep. and he does. And because he does, it's very satisfying. It is. And if end. if this is the introduction of Kenny as a as a real bona fide detective, then what you enjoy about all of it is seeing him go through those paces. And the question becomes not whether or not he's identified the right man he has, but it's going to be whether or not he can get the evidence, get the proof that is needed before the killer gives him the proof by claiming another victim. Mm-hmm. So that's how we're, we're, we're growing with Kenny and watching his development in something like this. And again, I think that that's why the whodunit part of it isn't so important, because what we're really looking at is technique. Yes, yes, we're, yes, exactly, exactly, which is super fun. I mean, I, I yes. think, you know, this is the 10th episode of a show, and it's still, um, it's, it's, it's still, it's still able to have uh, other, it, other, tr- not, I, I guess, tricks up its sleeve, sort of, because there, there were plenty of shows around this time period, you know, if you watch three episodes, you pretty much watch everything that they do, you know, yeah. that'll do, um, but this one still has tricks up its sleeve, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna call it a spoiler, because I think if it happens more than, like, Less than like halfway into the episode, I don't know if we can fully call it a. It's up to something else. I would agree with you there. Yeah, I think that that um, and and again, it's telegraphed virtually in the first couple of scenes, and the fact that there is never another suspect introduced tells me they did not consider that to be the uh, focal point of the story. Yes, Um, so I'm going to tell you it's. uh, it's it's the character they meet at the accident. It's this guy Dwayne, Dwayne Ingram, and uh, we're not going to tell you why he's doing it. We're not going to tell you who he goes at. Well, we, we we'll tell you the first couple who he goes after. Um, uh, well, actually, I already told you that in the plot. But um, <laughs> uh, it's um, but yeah, he's the he's the killer, and it's it's funny because the the first moment you, I, I I think it's sort of more or less you know that he's the killer. Yes. By the fact that you see the first killing, and then you see someone with a Frankenstein mask on off to one side, and then as everyone's around, um, uh, they're not around the body, they're around this gal who fainted, all of a sudden you hear this really loud voice say something like, say, what's wrong with everybody? Mm-hmm. And this this guy, and it's Dwayne, and you're like, um, could he be the killer? And I, th- I think they're, even though right there they're not, like, maybe like 15 minutes later they show him breaking in somewhere and stealing axes. And, you know, at that point, you're like, oh, I think he might be the... Yeah. He's, he's either the Axeman or he's good friends with the Axeman, and the Axeman was up to something else, and he said, could you break in here and steal me a couple axes? Yeah, it's not likely or... that he's a migrant lumberjack or something <laughs> yeah, exactly. in the middle of New Orleans. But... <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, so so I, th- I think it's safe to safe to give that away, but it, then it becomes the story. And I will say that Dwayne character is really weird. Yes, he is. He And there's there's a sequence near the end... Um, uh, where two characters, one of them being Dwayne, are talking, and it's a really weird scene where he's got this really strange accent, and the person he's talking to is kind of a little too melodramatic, and I'm not sure if, and it's a very important scene, but I'm not sure if 
if it's a rare scene with like kind of kind of slightly bad acting or whether it's just like the scene was just it's just too histrionic or something it's and I, I it's right before the climax where two characters are talking and um, there's just like he's got this yeah this weird uh, oh wait a minute I'm actually watching the scene where he it's 15 minutes in you see him stealing the axes yeah. 15 minutes in okay um uh yeah so yeah there's so this scene and unfortunately I don't want to tell you too much about it but yeah there's just this really weird scene in the end where he's doing his voice which is really weird it's that that's not it but it's this really weird kind of I don't even know if it's an accent what it is. Um, and he's the person he's acting against is too much like Dwayne. What's happening? Oh, and it's like, what are you all doing? Someone, calm down, please. It's it's a slightly strange scene. <laughs> They're chewing the scenery a little bit there, but yeah. but 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 you're right though. He is a very disconcerting character. He is, and and there's there's a scene, possibly, um, possible. I don't know if it's my favorite scene in the episode. Actually, my favorite scene in the episode is probably um, there's a scene where uh, uh, Kenny gets beaten up. Oh, that's by, a terrific scene. That's a fantastic, yes. scene, a fantastic fight. It's funny because it's like it's on his. Is that his apartment? Is it a college dorm? Is that his apartment? I forget what yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I think that is the dorm. Yeah, and and it's funny because there's no one there apparently. I mean, it's it's. I know if if it must I was be having... at night school. That's all I could think. They're all in class. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, because uh, there, there's a great fight scene, and soon after that, there's there's a scene where um he's talking to Melody, and and uh, he, she says, "Do you want some milk?" And he says, "I'll have a cow full." Yeah, and I've, I don't think I've ever quite heard that, but I thought that was a great line. That is um, a great line. And um, there's uh, oh, uh, what was it? Yeah, the the creepiest scene I think is the scene where he goes to talk to Dwayne's mother. Is his mother? I think yes. it's his mother, mm-hmm. and he goes to talk to his mother, and his mother looks slightly addled. She looks slightly out of it, and she she talks about Dwayne, and the sort of the conversation she has about Dwayne, and Dwayne is listening. The conversation she has about Dwayne uh, to Kenny is is she says stuff like. You know, how great his dad was, and his dad died the day before Christmas, which is weird because where I come from, now I'm from the Northeast, I don't know how they do it in New Orleans, but the day before Christmas, we call Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, Eve yeah. So I don't know what she's talking about there. <laughs> but it's just this weird thing where she's saying, like, everything Dwayne's, uh, his, fa- his father was such a great guy, everything Dwayne's tried to do, he's failed at, and it just get, gets worse every time he tries to do something. But, you know, as the generations go on, the blood thins. And you like you hear that you go, that's a little weird. My first thought was inbreeding, but um, my second thought was that's a little bit of a weird thing for a mom to say to a stranger about her son. It is, and it it struck me as being being sort of this uh, the, the southern gothic thing that oh, we've yes. we've mentioned a couple of times. This this addled family this troubled family with the the they have the name they have the house but the shattered ruins of of a once great family type of thing and you just get this uh uh i've always depended on the uh, kindness of strangers yeah she has that attitude, type of yeah. thing yeah it's yeah and and it's sort of like yeah it looks like you know Dwayne's the end of the bloodline and it's just and it's just so it's it's weird I I watched an episode of Petticoat Junction the other day uh Kate and the Dowager with this old rich woman and her really pervy son come and <laughs> stay at the shady rest and there's a scene where she go, this woman goes to Kate and says 
Kate, um, uh, you're, um, my, uh, my son, Sonny, is the end of the... And oddly enough, her son was Sonny, and the Drysdales have a son named Sonny. I don't know yes. if that means anything. That's Louis uh, Nye, isn't it? The boy yes, son? Yep. yes. Yep, and, and they're both kind of a very similar sort of character, um, in a way. Uh, but uh, but there's just this weird moment. This this when I watched this episode, I thought of it where the this dowager character says more or less, um, you know, uh, Sonny is the end of uh, the line, the bloodline, and his blood's getting thin, and so we need him to marry Billy Joe so we can strengthen the bloodline or something like that. Mm. And it's it's there are lots of laugh track going on. Yeah. It. So it's so it's not like it's not like vampires sitting in a basement or something. It's <laughs> it's this woman talking to Kate and, and Kate basically says, no. And and but but it's like when I th- I thought the same exact thing inbreeding. Yeah. You know I th- I thought it's this this, this strange family where it's like they're at the end and they've got this son who and because Sonny in the Petticoat Junction episode it's like he just got kicked out of his seventh Ivy League college. And, and they, you know, and it's like, huh? And there okay. are only eight. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. I don't know which one. They didn't say which one. He's probably Cornell. I yeah. bet. But, um, <laughs> um, uh, but it's, um, uh, but yeah, it's sort of. I, I had the. It's like this scene with with the mom in this the, the Burbage Street beat is sort of the dark version of that. Yeah. You know, where where Sonny and this uh, to this mom, Sonny is a shining light, but he needs to marry a strong woman. Mm-hmm. To, and, she, but, and how she talks uh, to Kenny at first, you know, it's kind of like I'm always happy to meet one of Sonny's friends. And yeah, and Kenny does does sort of qualify. Oh, we go to school together. He doesn't yes. actually fully come out and say we're friends. But but she doesn't sort of see that, and she's like she won't let him leave unless he has some white wine on ice, which I meant to pour myself a little glass of for this episode. I did not. Maybe for the next one. Yes. You know, we, tune in. Tune in. The, the next episode, <laughs> Mitchell and I will be having white wine on ice. Um, but uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Where are we here? Okay. Um, uh, what what else do you have? We'll probably start wrapping this up shortly. But what else? What else do you have? Well, I, I uh, we talked uh, about that fight scene earlier, and I yes. I really enjoyed that because it does cover this whole floor of a uh, dormitory, yeah. and they're going downstairs and on ledges. And at one point in time, I turned to my wife and I said, "I'll bet he wishes he had Cato with him now, doesn't he?" <laughs> <laughs> it just it just seemed to be oh, made that, for that. That fight would. Have been over in seconds. Mm, yes. <laughs> it would have been the, the man with the axe. You would have just heard, yeah, 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 and the guy would have been on the ground. And um, I, I really liked too. I liked Sue Ann Langdon. Uh, painfully young Sue Ann Langdon, and in, in this one, but she plays. Uh, uh, was it Lurine? And yes. Yeah. And um, the the one that Kenny is getting the information from, and uh, again, it's just another one of these colorful characters that passes through in these shows. But I'm proud of Kenny in that scene because uh, he uh, he could easily have simply said, you know, in service of of the job, I do what I have to do. But I'm he stays true to melody on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just that it's the age-old question: Do you like to smooch? Yeah, exactly. That, we, that we've encountered. Again. Yeah, I, I actually, again, that scene is playing right here, and she's just delightful. She's she's cute as a button, and she's very seductive, and he's able to, you know, keep his cool. And uh, and it's it's funny there. And this is just a side thing for uh, 
uh, folks who are listening who are horror film fans, she has a she has a very interesting accent in this scene. And there's one line she delivers, and I don't I'm not going to have a prize for anyone, some sort of no prize or something. But there's one line she delivers, which reminds me and. Again, I'm not going to say the line, which reminds me, there's a movie called The Redeemer from 1976, and the Redeemer character takes several, as he's killing people at a class reunion, he takes on several different um, uh, uh, personalities. And one of them was sort of on stage doing a dramatic monologue, has almost the exact same accent that she does, Hmm. and delivers a line in the same sort of cadence that she does. And I've watched this episode three times for this. Every time she says the line, all I could think of was the Redeemer. Oh, interesting. And, and I actually have circled on my notes, the Redeemer. I'm not going to tell you what line it is, but if you watch the episode, watch the scene. If you know the Redeemer, I think you'll hear the same. It, obviously, she's a woman, and he's this big, crazy guy on a stage. But they have they hit the exact same sort of like accent and cadence and everything. It's really it's interesting, I think. But um but you know that's a that's a little side tangent there. Um, let's see. Uh, do you have anything else? Um, um, I, I would say that one of the things that's really nice, and I don't think this is giving anything away because Kenny is back next week, so we know he's going to survive yes, this. Yes. But at the very end of the episode, you get the feeling that both Cal and Rex have kind of a different appraisal of Kenny now. That it wasn't that they they didn't respect him but he has a newfound respect from them now he's he's not he's not a virgin detective anymore he's yes. come through his first case he was right they were coming there to save the day but he and and they did but he had things fairly well uh, wrapped up by that point and um it's 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 a nice little scene because um they they they're welcoming him to the club yes it's it's yeah it's it's a lovely ending to it because it's a uh, uh, they they were well uh, yeah they weren't they weren't dismissive of him throughout no. it they were just like um, either either I can't help you now or pick another case mm-hmm. um, but yeah it it is nice because you wonder oh gosh is he gonna is he gonna have more in here as we go along yeah I I, I think that's a that's that's a good one. yeah let me see I'm just gonna scan my notes real quick if you have anything else. Please yell out. No. Um, I um, I think that that one other thing you touched on too when he was talking with Cal at the very beginning, and Cal talks about uh, when whenever you're investigating a murder case, you're risking your life i had jotted down here that cal's really giving us a bit of a tutorial on how to investigate a murder yes and that it's it's a nice set piece in an episode where they take just a moment out and start actually talking about the philosophy of solving a crime and what that means yeah it's it's i i think uh I, I think that one of the one of the things I'm really enjoying about the show is like like with the the previous episode all the st- all the times it stopped for a little lusty time <laughs> you know and, and this one the time it stops where you get Cal and you get Rex with their sort of point of views on on what's going on and Cal when he's talking to Kenny looks sort of more serious than yes. Rex does Rex has a look on his face like come on. This, don't worry about it. Do do something else. Well, you, Cal is very much. You you could imagine Cal like almost sitting with a pipe with his legs yeah. crossed. And you realize too. You realize too that Cal, of course, is speaking from his years of experience as a policeman. 
as yes. well. If any man should know what it's like to investigate a murder and what what risks you're taking, it's a man who's been both a police detective and now a private detective. Yes, and the first time we saw Cal, he was in a room with a dead. He was in. He was a cop in a room with a dead detective. Yes. So there you go. Yeah. Um, let's see. I think. I think that's all I have. It's great to see Kenny. Uh, da, da, da. Oh, oh I, I've got one more thing, and then I guess uh, we'll wrap it up. Um, uh, and that is, can I, can I just say, um, editors, Hollywood editors, if someone's doing a dangerous stunt, don't edit it in the middle of the stunt. Don't throw an edit in the middle of the stunt. There's a sequence near the end where um, Dwayne is sort of out on a ledge, and he kind of, he's up on a balcony, kind of swings his body over onto a ledge, and it, it's, it's, it looks rather dangerous and as he's swinging out into the ledge it cuts to another scene uh, don't do that no. if, if you hire the stunt man to do the stunt let the stunt go all the way just let it go another second so he lands and you see him go i mean unless the stuntman fell to his death and i don't think he did i'm sure he was fine but um it's it's a weird moment because you're like there's some really nice stunting in it and he kind of goes up on this balcony he swings himself around onto a leg and then it cuts to another scene and you're like what don't do that and this is just, they, I don't know that that's just, if there are any editors listening, professional editors, please knock that off. <laughs> please. Because Dan says so. Please, please. <laughs> I um, uh, Yeah, I guess that, that's all I got. Um, Mitchell, if you don't have anything else, would nope. you like to um, uh, sh- share with the world where you are online and, and you've got a book and all these fun things? Yes, the, the website is uh, itsabouttv.com, I-T-S-A-B-O-U-T-T-V, Dot com uh, spelled just the way it sounds. The name of the book is The Electronic Mirror, an opinionated look at how classic TV helps us understand who we were and who we are and everything in between. I, I'm, I'm torn. Uh, white wine on ice or a cow full of milk? I don't know. I, we're going to find out. And uh, I guess to, to follow up um, from the last time... I think we all like smooching. I'm going to make this a run and gag, folks, as we go. Smooching is great. Locked in his room, guarded by three detectives, this notorious gangster was mysteriously murdered. Who killed him? Was it the gang-busting prosecutor? You found something, didn't you? His devoted young assistant. Murphy's acting out of the finest motivation. The nightclub dancer. He was sensitive about being married. The distraught wife. <laughs> the obsessed young detective. If I wanted to poison Caesar, would I, would I slip it to him in front of you? The ruthless gang leader. Are you calling me a liar? Or was it someone else? Match wits with Ellery Queen and see if you can guess who done it.
testing, testing, Pudge Heffelfinger, Pudge Heffelfinger. Pudge Heffelfinger. Pudge Heffelfinger. Wasn't he a famous uh, Yale football player? He, he was. He was a guard, I think. Uh-oh. Dun, dun. Is that a clue? Oh, my gosh. Uh, that, that could be a clue, folks, in the episode, The Adventure of Caesar's Last Sleep. Aww. The 20th episode of Ellery Queen Mysteries. Only two left after Only this. Only two left. And what is it? March 14th, 1976. Directed by Richard Michaels. Teleplayed by Rudolph Borchert. Story by Michael Rhodes. I know Rudolph Borchert Bor- from... Uh, several Yes, I know from church, and we go on cruises together mm-hmm. every summer. Um, from He wrote several... From the acapella group band yeah, together, yes, and the Borchert Trio. We're, fa- we're fantastic. He has a beautiful contralto. Borchert. Is that a thing? <laughs> sure, why not? He wrote several episodes of The Night Stalker. And of all the things I've seen that he's written, this is probably the best. The script for the script for this is is I think top notch. Because uh, you know he wrote it by singing it all the way through. <laughs> we dictate. I dictate while Rudolph sings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the the basics is uh, as as you heard in the the opening there. Uh, a gangster is is thought to be killed in his home. Uh, basically, this really ugly guy. I hate to. You know, I'm sure he was beautiful at one time. He was a beautiful baby. Beautiful, no, actually, the guy. You mean the guy who tries to kill him? Bonner, yeah. Yeah, Bonner. No, he that kid. I think he probably came out of the womb looking suspicious. <laughs> His mom had a few organs. <laughs> he came out. He, he, he was he, born. He was like he came out with a kidney in one hand. And he he was born looking. He suspicious. was he was very few babies are born with film noir lighting on them. It's very true. He, he was, was swinging his placenta around. Yeah, and, and, um, you call that a room? You, call, you call that a womb, lady? Um, and he was born that height. He just he just came out like six foot. Um, uh, but he, uh, yeah, you you see him try to blow up this guy Caesar, and they say Caesar's dead, but he's actually not dead. Um, he's not. There was a, a gentleman played by Stuart Whitman, and why didn't I write Irwin? No, does that sound right? The uh, the DA. The DA, yes. Yeah. Uh, we're to call him just Stuart Whitman, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he he's got a big plan for um, the because the next day Caesar's going to go in front of the grand jury, so they need to hide him, Caesar, and Veeley along with um, what was uh, you know I, Joe Bax. No, that wasn't it. Ralph. No. C- no um, He's a, another cop. Yeah, he, another he, cop. Detective he, Malloy. Malloy. Uh, played by um, one of the guys from Emergency, Richard Teague. Teague? Kevin. Kevin. Kevin Teague. Teague. I think it is Yeah. Um, and he's also in a Law and Order episode. Oh yeah, you uh, told me about that. He's chilling in it. Yeah. He's chilling. He does some very chilling stuff. The character's name is Searle. Is the last name? I think it's Gregory Searle. That one oh. always sticks with me. Ooh, mm-hmm. he's so. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the Inspector Queen is put in charge along with Veeley and Malloy to put Caesar up. Put yes, in very reluctantly to watch Caesar while he's people think he's dead, but uh-huh. they're hiding him for one night. Before he can testify yes. before the grand jury, and he's uh, basically put in a room. The room is the bedroom. The room is locked. Uh, no entrance uh, through the window, and he's killed in the locked room. Uh, you see, Bonner is in the hotel, so they think maybe mm-hmm. somehow he did something. But yeah, he's dead. He's poisoned. He's just hanging around, looking suspicious. Yes, and so Stuart Whitman's character is very uh, sort of muckraking, and he's always trying to cause trouble. And a lot causes a bunch of trouble for Inspector Queen and Veeley, and some for Malloy too. Although he doesn't actually quite get to Malloy, but Veeley gets in some trouble yeah. due to um, his, his brother-in-law's uh, relation to a place called Archie's Clam Palace. Have you ever known a clam to live in a palace? <laughs> These clams do. They do. 
a clam palace. A clam palace. I love it. That could be overselling, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe they're really good clams. There, I bet. Well, Benny Franks eats there. He's the head mobster in he the is. area. He yeah. loves that clam And Caesar's place. second in command. Mm-hmm. So that, those are the basics behind it. And it becomes, uh, it, it looks like for a time, Vili may have had something to do with it. Malloy may have had something to do with it. Could it be this guy Bonner? Could it be this, that, and the other thing? So many and, possibilities. And Inspector Queen is getting a lot of flack from it. And um, oh, and Stuart Women's um, uh, uh, second in command is played by um, Eddie e- Edward Albert. Eddie Albert's son. He was very good. He's got I really a, like him in this episode. Yeah. He's he's got a, a sort of sincerity to he him does. that I really he has a like. Real sweetness to him, and and yes, sincerity. It's because Stuart Whitman is very you know. Um, well, Inspector, da, 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 this, that, and the other, and and he sounds very film noir, doesn't he? You know, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, yeah. say, Dolly, wow, well. He doesn't actually call anybody a dolly. <laughs> he should, though. Maybe he, he should. should. Go down to the Clam Palace and call, call somebody call Benny dolly. Franks a dolly. I'd like a, um, say, what's the meaning of this, pal? Uh, yes, yes. Inspector Queen, you were put in charge of this, <laughs> and I think I'm going to, if there was what's any graph. skinny on the 69ing of, <laughs> not 69 Who fingered him? <laughs> Something else. <laughs> what do you call, no, when you kill somebody. Uh, yeah, seventy six trombones led. No, what is it? Forty, thirty. Why are you doing like a thing across your throat? Is it? Does that mean? Is there a number for that? Whatever. Yeah, it's you know the number we're thinking of, folks. And why are we blanking on it? And yeah, and so Ellery and his dad are there, and they they actually. I want to play this sound clip. This is the right after the explosion. And you see them all hanging out. They talk, uh, and, and Ellery and his dad talk about their phone bill. Ellery? I'm home. Hi, Dad. Any mail? There's a second notice from the telephone company. Where is it? Uh, I put it in the drawer with the first notice from the telephone company. Ever think of paying it? Well, I'm going to get around to that, Dad, as soon as I finish this chapter. Oh, uh... You missed a talk by Erwin Murphy. No, I didn't miss a thing. It was mimeographed in advance and a copy was left on my desk. Now, there's a man who wants to be governor in the worst way. What are you looking for? Dodger night game. Oh, forget about it. It was rained out in Boston. You sure about that? Yep. The rain that has drenched New England and caused the postponement of the Braves-Dodgers game will continue throughout the night. I have just been handed a special news bulletin. Ralph Caesar, allegedly the number two man in organized crime in New York, was pronounced dead on arrival at Long Island Memorial Hospital after the living room of his suburban home was devastated by a bomb of undetermined origin. Holy Hannah, how about that? They're fun. They are. You made an excellent point. I don't know if you remember this, which is about... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, It seems a little strange that um, Ellery's dad would put Ellery in charge of the bills, knowing... They seem to know each other so well, and yet... And yet, that might have been an oversight. <laughs> yeah, that like the, the or maybe he just really hates paying bills. Possibly, I mean, the head of homicide in the New York City Police Department um, is just got a second notice or whatever for his phone, phone bill. Yeah, you would think maybe mm-hmm. give maybe give him a little break. You know, true. I don't know. If he needs that mm-hmm. phone. It could be a business expense. You know, I, I'm looking at my notes real quick. Yes, and I see about halfway down my second column, I see Archie's Clam Palace. Always, but I see that it's it's prefigured. This seafood related thing is prefigured because in the beginning, Stuart Whitman's oh, character yes. says he's declaring war on mobsters, and for some reason, I wrote down declaring war on lobsters. <laughs> right, right there, lobsters. See, I thought you were going to say something about shrimp. 
because I was convinced for a second we were talking, there was a reference to shrimp, but now I'm remembering it was my friend Diana told me last night that she'd prepared, prepared 12 shrimp for her young son while she oh. was off doing a show, and she thought he'd only eat a couple, but he ate all of them. I wow. guess he's going through a growth spurt. He's a, Yeah, wow. Way to go, Cole. Way to go, Cole. I'm going to get you a bunch of shrimp for your next birthday. Shout out to Cole and his shrimp. Yeah. And there, and there was when he was, uh, Stuart was having, doing like a press conference, and they had, you know, all the microphones, and it was like, W, this, that, that, da, 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 da. And there was, was it W New? W. W N E W. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear that station. Mm-hmm. It's always um, new. It's always fresh. Always new. Um, and I, fresh. let's see. Let's see. Uh, oh, and we got to talk uh, real quick. One of the, one of the clue related things may or may not have something to do uh, with a book that they find at the scene. And actually, mm. let's, since, since we're here, let's, let's play the scene. You'll get to hear Stuart Whitman's character in this. This is the uh, investigation when the, everyone shows up at the, uh, at the hotel room. You were in charge of security, Queen. Security wasn't breached. I had two men in this room all night long. I was next door. What about the windows? Locked. And someone must have unlocked one of them because Ralph Caesar is dead. Yeah, the killer didn't come in through the window. There's certainly outside ledges hasn't been disturbed. Dad, my son Ellery, Erwin Murphy... How do you do? What's he doing here? I called him. No one was supposed to know anything about this. That was when Caesar was still alive. Uh, Mr. Murphy, whose idea was it to put Ralph Caesar up in this hotel? Mine. Oh, it seemed more reasonable to hide him out in the crowded Times Square area than, than in some remote hotel where his presence might be conspicuous. The reasoning was sound. The execution was faulty. Someone got to him. Mm-hmm. We're back to how. Well, first the medical examiner has to determine the cause of death. All we really know is that he wasn't shot or stabbed or thrown out that window. I have a feeling that we can rule out natural causes. Yeah, that's good. This had better be the most thorough murder investigation ever conducted by the Homicide Bureau. They're all thorough. I want full details on those two men you assigned to guard Caesar. Their department records, their personal background. Well, you won't get them from me. Now, I had this assignment stuffed down my throat, but I'm taking full responsibility for everything that happened. And you're not going to make my two men scapegoat. I'm sure that wasn't Mr. Murphy's intention. I will not accept the cover-up. Your degree of responsibility will be considered, Inspector. Have no fear about that. It's tricky with sound bites because there are a lot of them I'd like to pick, but we have to be... Uh, be... I'm looking at your notes. Uh, they're, they're, they're really fun. You use a lot of exclamation points, such as yes. um, Dave Studio. Is that one? Is that, that what that says? I think Dave so. Stu- and then there's one that says... Scrumptious. <laughs> oh, that's right. Then, oh yeah, have, I have a, yeah. Have have a look at him. He is scrumptious. He is scrumptious. Uh, let's see. Uh, I like throw much. No throw, throw mud. mud. Throw, throw mud. mud. Um, that remind me of King Frat. Angry baby. I know that's not what it says. Benny Franks. Benny Franks. Ralphlessness. Ralph. That might Ralph. say Ralphlessness because there is no one named Ralph <laughs> yeah, in the episode. A, you know, or is there complete lack of Ralph? Which is ice. That's a good one too. Ice. Why did I do? Oh, that's that's um, uh, they talk about Phone getting bill ice is or something. Phone Ellery and Dad. Oh, uh, Dad. Oh, those are the sound bites. Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's fun. Henry Cooper, Ralph Caesar. Oh no, there is a Ralph. The oh, main the, the Oh, that's guy. right. He's Ralph. he's okay. so. Oh, so this is probably me just writing Ralph Caesar again at the Ralph's, bottom there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that because like by time Ralphlessness, but I like Ralph. I guess once he's that's dead, a, that's, we're, that's a true. Real at that point, we're in a real state of Ralphlessness. Yeah. So let me ask you a question that you normally ask me first. Yes. Uh, what'd you think of this episode? I got I got to say this is one of my favorites, and in fact, when it ended, we actually both went "Hey!" and did a little applause. We I, did. I, oh, yeah. like when plane lands, sometimes uh, people clap. You know, if it's been a bumpy ride, have you ever 
Have yeah, that happened? yeah, 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 yeah. When the freeze well, frame came up, although this wasn't a bumpy ride, that was a very no. poor comparison. Mm. It, it's a no. It was a great comparison. No, babe. no, it wasn't. I love her comparison. It wasn't like a relief that it was uh-huh. over. It was yay. We were applauding the episode. Yeah, I th- I think it's um I think it's one of the best written. I think it's got a lot of nice misdirection in it, mm. and and the way it does the misdirection this time is it makes it personal with Inspector Queen and Veely. Yeah. So you get so you get sort of outrage at Stuart Whitman's character because you know it's not Veely, and you know Inspector, you know it was something else. But it's I, I don't remember figuring it out until the point where, and this is an interesting one, and for, we're not going to give it away, but in. Sort of Ellery figures it out, and then his dad figures it out like 10 seconds later, and his dad does the stuff in the end. Mm-hmm. Ellery just stands around, which I really like. Yeah, it's a really nice um, relationship thing. I know I'm always talking about how much I love the relationship mm-hmm. between um, Inspector Queen and Ellery, but I really do. And in this one in particular, I love that Ellery gets it, but he lets his dad be yes. the one you know he knows his dad needs it because he that actor has some really nice dark night of the soul stuff yeah you know, I'll, Inspector I'll play Queen that scene really, in a moment yeah uh, uh, it really rocks his faith in his job and in, mm-hmm. um, he, he's really down so Ellery lets him have that discovery mm-hmm. um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a very lovely relationship thing I think and well played yeah I, I agree here's here's your uh, briefly is just the scene uh, Inspector Queen at its lowest I think morning dad what did the uh, deputy commissioner have to say among other things that Murphy's preparing a statement for the press outlining my general incompetency that's not fair you're the best man on the force and you're slightly prejudiced according to Murphy I'm pretty much over the hill Nonsense, Dad. The commissioner's your age. Nobody's saying he's over the hill. He's not on the firing line. I'm sorry, Ellery, but you can't buck me up today. Another thing that Murphy said is that I tend to lean on you too much. Now, he could be right about that. I used to like this old office. Today, it depresses me. You want some company? Not now, Ellery. Not just now. Uh, yeah, it's 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 you don't usually see uh, sort of him no, like he, that. No, he usually maintains a, a. I don't know if I'd call him an upbeat person. <laughs> Maybe not, but but, uh, but a steady person. Yes, yes, he's a, he's a very even person. He, he seems happiest, I think, like listening to the radio and and having like um uh, something to eat. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and Ellery usually gets to be the one who's a bit more um, variable. You know, he's mm-hmm. forgetful and he's, yeah. um, but but they get to reverse roles to some extent in this one yeah and i i just i yeah in the in the end it's it's and unfortunately yeah we, we can't spoil it but they're they're doing something where they where ellery sees the clue and yeah so he kind of points something out to his dad well he doesn't really point it out he just says hey dad you know look at look at this mm-hmm. and there's a long pause and inspector queen is talking that all of a sudden he's like ellery i know who no, killed ralph right. caesar and it's like yeah <laughs> Yeah, he, he sort of leads him to water there. Mm-hmm. He leads his dad to water. The the how of the murder, I think, is quite clever. Too. Yes, yeah, because it is it is a locked room mystery, which is always which. Or are as always I like fun. to call it, a closed door. <laughs> the closed mystery. Door mystery. We just close the door. Just close the door. They're great. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else uh, do I have here? Oh, they're, they're one of the clues may or may not be uh, may or may not be the book that he was reading, The American Athlete. 
which um, uh, has opens up to the page all about Pudge Heffelfinger. All about him. Which which has uh, Inspector Queen say Pudge who? Pudge. They have some great funny names in this. Pudge <laughs> Heffelfinger, the Clam Palace. Is that what it's called? Archie's. Arch- yes, Archie's Clam, Clam Palace. Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are two of my favorites. Yeah, those are good ones. Ralph. Ralph. Always a good name. Ralphlessness. Yeah. Ralphlessness. Um, so, uh, what do you think? What's your overall thoughts? Yes, on? I really like. This is one of my favorites too. I think because it become so personal with Veely being um, attacked and mm-hmm. with Inspector Queen. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's nice to see how Ellery and his dad take care of each other in this mm-hmm. time because it is a more personal attack on them and on what they, you know, on what Inspector Queen does. So it's nice to see how Ellery gives his dad space when he needs it and mm-hmm. lets him have the glory of figuring mm-hmm. out who, who and how this happened. So, yeah, and of course, Archie's Clam Palace. <laughs> it's a fun scene in Archie's Clam Palace. It is. I love Benny Franks, too. The, he's the a great actor character, plays yeah. Benny Franks. He's got this funny He's got this voice. voice. Like he's, the, yeah, this, he's, he's like, a... I like your books, Queen, except for one thing. The murderer always gets caught at the end. Yeah, yes, and Ellery smiles. Yeah, you know, yeah. you want some clams? He loves the horseradish. He does. That's some good, and I always like how it, his voice is one of those where sometimes it sounds like... Words aren't going to make it out. Yes. You know, or they're going to be so sort of mumbled. You're going to go like, what's right. going on? But he, yeah, always, so um, he's really fun. He's, I like him. For a mobster, mm-hmm. he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and there, there's another uh, scene I love, the one where um, uh, uh, Ralph Caesar has, is having an affair. And he's, oh, yeah. uh, and there's, there's a lovely scene where they go to interview uh, the gal, and she's a dancer. And there's just this great thing throughout it where it's like, well, he called me. To, I thought he was dead, and then he called me and told me he wasn't dead. But now they say he's dead again. Is he really dead? Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry, he's dead. And and then she just keeps as she she keeps coming back to it throughout the thing. You know what? What if he calls me again tonight? You know, no, he's he's really dead. You know, if the phone rings tonight. That's what I thought last night. Yeah, that's what I thought last night. If the phone rings tonight, I'm not, not going to answer. answer it. Yeah. They're in a dance studio. She's in some kind of dance rehearsal. And it's just a short scene, and and you don't. She doesn't appear again. And although in the opening they um, say that mm, is she one of them? She because she's shown. Uh, she's she, shown. She's shown. She's not. And I do like um, in the in the opening uh, section you guys heard. It's like, or was it someone else? And it cuts to a shot of um, the the killer the clams. guy. The clams. It cuts to a shot of the clam pals. It cuts to a shot of the killer guy um, with like a huge like wily e. coyote handful of dynamite <laughs> light, light. it's like could oh. possibly be him <laughs> or is it yeah, it could be him yeah who knows who knows um, uh, let's see um, do you have anything else on this one babe I think that kind of covers I think it does yeah um, yeah it's it's a yeah it's a really good episode and I like the fact that uh, I, I don't know whether they knew when they made this episode that they weren't going to have a second season but I like the fact that they're not um, they're still doing I think that's probably Levinson and Link they're still doing variations of stuff mm-hmm. and they're still keeping it fresh yeah I found it very fresh it was super fresh oh and that horseradish that, mm. that horseradish that ho- horse Hillary. I called it horseradish horse 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 I gave him mm. a couple of horse books I could live without Oh yeah, some about penny the horse books, some penny, penny ante horse books. I like I like the the term penny ante. I don't think you you hear that as much as well, as you I'll, should. I'll try to work it in more. I'll okay. pepper it, <laughs> pepper it, pepper it in Heffelfinger. my conversation. Heffelfinger, Heffelfinger, Big. Pudge, Pudge. Who yeah. names our kid Pudge? I, I mean, that's, that's awful. I don't. Name? No, probably not. It's probably. I don't know. Rudolph. I think it might be on his baptismal certificate. <laughs> Pudge. We're calling him you Pudge. Sure with this. And it's his sister Smudge. 
Pudge Smudge. Pudge and Smudge. I should have looked that up to see if if that's a real character. I bet it is. I bet it is. They're they're very realistic. And I bet there's also a clam palace Mm. in your heart. The clam clam palace. (laughs) I just like, just give me the clams. And they just bring out a huge tray with clams. Clams. Clams have casinos. They have palaces. I don't know. Chowders. Chowders. I bet they make a nice chowder. They probably do. Mm -hmm. Where do you think they get the clams from? Oh, the the Hamptons. Probably, yeah. New York Harbor. New York Harbor. The clams. All right, I think that covers all of my notes. I have one here that may say Kate and Allie, but I don't think it does. Uh, I don't remember any references to Kate and Allie in this. I don't know. Maybe they were both in it. Maybe they were in the dance studio with his mistress. And I have one note here that I, I was going to read, but then I thought I think this might give something away, so I'm not going to say it. Okay. Yeah. I can't read it, so. Um, it's uh, something to something. Yeah. It's I I I still think maybe maybe one day when we're all done, a few months after we finish, we have uh, we do a mini so that's just Ellery spoilers, <laughs> and we just say what the endings are to each one mm-hmm. and whether or not well how how good we thought they were. Who did it? How they did it? Yeah. So yeah, I guess uh, if that's the end, thank you once again, babe. Oh, for, thank you so much for, for having for me. joining me. And we've only got two episodes left, folks. Yeah. Let's make them good. Yeah, let's I make think them count. I think I think they are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's end this with a little bit of Ellery and his dad. Aww. Casino. Clam. Archie's Clam Palace. Pudge! <laughs> Ralphlessness! Oh, the Ralphlessness of it all. Didn't Jean-Paul Sartre write about Ralphlessness? Yeah, absolutely <laughs> did. What a downer. What a Debbie he Downer. Should have he should have write it. Oh my god. Oh. Turn it off. He should have written about Pudge. Ellery, I've got it. I know who killed Ralph Caesar. He does, too. That movie had a clue. Oh, you probably caught it about the same time Dad did. Now, the other important thing to remember is the real reason Ralph Caesar was going to testify before the grand jury. Have you got it? Who killed Caesar? Vili didn't do it. Was it Jim Millay? Erwin Murphy? Lee Marks? Ben Franks? Or was Bonner's dying statement a lie? Or was it somebody else? I'll give you a hint. Shakespeare was wrong. Nobody is above suspicion. Dad, wait up. 